there, and thank you for tuning in to the Occlusal Table. I'm one of your hosts, Taylor Jackson. And it's your girl, Jasmine Clyde. And the one and only Bradley Ewan. And y'all, I cannot believe we are wrapping up season three. Um, And it's going to be with a free-flowing discussion. We have the senior class here. You know, we're going to be talking about the match process. And we're going to be highlighting everything from this past season. Let's get started. All right. And today is a very special episode where we'll be listening in on advice from the senior class with regards to matching into their dream residencies. So we'll go ahead and let the senior class introduce themselves. All right. Hi, everyone. My name is Kelly Gutter. I'm from Jackson, Mississippi. Um, I went to college at Tougaloo College, um, which is also in Jackson, and I'm excited to be here today with you all, and I matched into an AEGD program, Advanced Education and General Dentistry, in Memphis, Tennessee. Hey, everybody. I'm Chania Yukabi. I am from Riverdale, Georgia. Um, I went to the University of Georgia in Athens, and I matched into an AEGD program in Atlanta, Georgia. Hey everyone, my name is Kalia Branch. I'm from Las Vegas, Nevada. I went to Alabama State University for undergrad and I matched to an AGD program with the Air Force at Nellis Air Force Base in Las Vegas. And thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Hey everyone, my name is Remington Richardson. I'm from Shreveport, Louisiana. Home is New Orleans, Louisiana, and I matched into an orthodontic residency program at Indiana University in Indianapolis. Hi, everybody. My name is Raven Douglas, and I am from the home of the Blues and the Barbecue, Memphis, Tennessee. I went to undergrad at the University of Memphis, and I recently matched into an orthodontic residency program at the University of St. Louis. Hey, everybody. My name is Zach Gardner. I'm from Birmingham, Alabama. Went to undergrad at Hampton University, where I got my BS in biochemistry. I'm a fourth-year dental student at Meharry Medical College, and I matched into oral maxillofacial surgery residency in the state of Georgia. Hi, everyone. I'm Reva Walker, and I'm from Washington, New Jersey. I went to Indiana University of Pennsylvania, and I I post-matched into a pediatric residency in Houston, Texas. Hey everyone, my name is Chad Hannibal. Uh, I'm from Brooklyn, New York by way of Grenada in the Caribbean. Uh, I went to undergrad at Mega Evers College in Brooklyn, New York. Um, And I matched into a pediatric dentistry uh, program in Brooklyn itself, uh, Interfate Medical Center. Hello everyone, my name is Taylor Sims. I'm from Monroeville, Alabama. I went to the University of Alabama for my undergraduate, Roll Tide, and I matched into a pediatric dentistry residency at Howard University. Um, my name is Benita Sopopi. I'm from Dixon, Tennessee. I did my undergrad at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, Go Balls. And I matched into a general practice residency in Nashville, Tennessee. Thanks for having me. Hey, everybody. My name is Carissa Cook. I am from Sylacauga, Alabama, and I went to the University of Alabama at Birmingham for my bachelor's degree in biomedical sciences. Um, I just matched into a GPR program in St. Louis, Missouri, where I'll be starting residency in July. Hi, everyone. My name is 
is Corinthia Wilkerson. I'm from Lithonia, Georgia. I graduated from Spelman College in Atlanta, Georgia, and I matched to a periodontology residency at Harvard School of Dental Medicine. All right. Well, let's go ahead and give it up for our senior class here. (laughs) So, so proud of you guys and congratulations. Um, What is all of you all's background story, um, just the route that it took for you to get here uh, when it comes to matching, just even what it took for you to get to dental school. Just let us take a peek, you know, into your journey. The peek into the journey of it all, the first word and the word that matters the most is persistence. Persistence is key. And that's something that started from my inception of thinking about even coming to dental school. Um, I come from an incarcerated parent household, uh, five younger brothers. So I've been um, fortunate enough to have opportunities because life is going to open up the doors of opportunity for you. And what you do with those opportunities is really all up to you. And so to be fortunate enough to get to Meharry, um, I didn't get accepted into dental school my first go around. Um, I had to go and get my master's. And I got my master's actually here at Meharry Medical College. Um, the master's, uh, I got my master's in health science. And that was not what I thought it was going to be. I felt like it was a step direction because I was really trying to get into dental school. And you think about the traditional route that students go into, and that's four years of undergrad, four years of dental school. And so when I didn't get into dental school the first go around, I felt like that that was a failure and a setback. But persistence led me into the Masters of Health Science program, and I got recommended for that program. And God puts you in places that you're supposed to be in and you'll never understand the reason sometimes. And so you just have to ask God for understanding because you will not get the reasons why things happen. And I will say that the MHS program was one of the best things that happened to me. It prepared me for dental school in a way that I did not know I needed. Um, It taught me how to be a professional student, which is very different than undergrad Um, in the hours that you take and the rigors of the courses, um, the course load. It's very different. And so to have that foundation set for me to get into dental school, it uh, really propelled me in dental school and set me on the trajectory for which led me to being able to match into an orthodontic residency program. Um, It was that persistence. And that is something that you need throughout the entire way. Um, So I will say like from here that if if anything, when you think story, it's persistence. Yeah, for me as well. Um, I did not get into dental school the first time. I knew I wanted to be a dentist since I was nine years old. And, you know, my DAT score probably wasn't as high as it should be. Um, So I took a year off and worked as a dental assistant and a receptionist in dental offices. And that turned out being the best thing for me, like that mentorship through dental school. And when I needed help applying a residency and post-matching. It was that connection that I made when I was a dental assistant that allowed me to be where I'm going to be. And I'll go next. Um, My journey to dental school was long, I guess you could say, but it was so rewarding in every way. Um, When I was at Alabama State University, I found out, actually, it's crazy. I went to the base out there, Nellis Air Force Base, and I was like going shopping with a family member. And she's like, yeah. And she knew I was interested in dental school. She's like, yeah, I think the Air Force like pays for your school. And I'm like, no way. And she was like, yeah. So I went home to, to make a long story short, researched the Air Force. And like an hour later, I'm like, mom, I'm joining the military. And I was like, they can pay for school. And she's like, okay. (laughs) 
And I had no military experience to know anything about it. But in the moment, it was such like a no brainer. Like I didn't even really have to think about it. Like it, I just felt like this is a direction that God wanted me to take. And I feel like it's important when you get those impulses to really listen. And I think just my personality, I was like, all right, like, like, let's do it. So once I graduated school, I thought I was going to go straight to dental school like we all do. And God had another plan. Um, I ended up serving as um, a space officer in Eglin Air Force Base in Florida, which pretty much we track satellites that are going up to the earth and rocket launches and all this really techie stuff that I didn't want no business in. I was like, I'm supposed to go to school. I don't know anything about this. Like, God, I wanted to go be a dentist. Like, what's going on? And I was really just terrified. I didn't know anything about the career I was going into. Um, so it was pretty scary, but I kind of just jumped in head first and just made the best of it. Um, I wanted to go to school like two years in. I had a four-year commitment. So about two years in, I was like, hey, Air Force, let me go. I know there's a scholarship. I want to apply. And they denied me. And they're like, no, you need to stay another year. There are some like vacancies in your position. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, am I ever going to make it to school? So um, and I just stuck through it and really killed it at my job and built a really good relationship with my commander at the time. And he vouched for me the following year. So I applied again and he wrote me a great letter of recommendation um, really vouching for me personally to like his boss's boss and they're like, okay. And they let me go to school. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a scholarship, the health profession scholarship program with the air force. Um, they're paying hundred percent of my tuition fees, pretty much everything. Um, and when I finish, I'll be going back to Nellis air force base, um, doing a one year ADD residency with them. So I feel like, the whole journey was very long and arduous, but everything that I went through, all of those struggles, the disappointments, everything that I went through during that job, I feel like I can see why God put me there. Like, I know why I had to go through that because this is directly helping me out with the lesson that I'm learning, like right now in school. So um, just like they were saying before me, persistence really is the name of the game, because if you believe that it'll, it'll happen, it will. And you just have to believe and know that you deserve that and just go for it and never stop. And that's really just my motto. That's the way I live my life. And it's just been fun and I'm excited for the journey. So. Oh, that's, that's interesting, Kalia. Uh, hearing your, your story and how long it was, cause mine was long too. Um, as I said, I'm from Brooklyn, New York, but by way of Grenada in the Caribbean. Uh, so I moved to Grenada when I was seven. Um, and you know, I lived most of my life there until I was 18 after I completed my uh, associate degree. So by then I knew I wanted to be a dentist because, you know, my love for dentistry and I found it in Grenada. So moved back to New York now and I'm like, okay, I'm going to dental school. I went straight to NYU and I'm like, I would like to enroll. And the lady just looked at me like, uh, did you submit your scores and stuff on oh, your application on um, ADSAS? And I'm like, no. She's like, do you take your DAT? I'm like, no, but I have my, you know, um, associate degree transcript. So funny story. She told me, you know, okay, this is not how you apply. You have to do a four year degree first. I'm like, okay. So when I enrolled at Mega Edwards College, 
Um, so now I have an associate degree. It should take me just two years to finish a bachelor's. Didn't have the correct guidance, so I took five years because in the middle of those um, of my degree, I changed my major. So here we are now at 2015 and post-graduation, I'm like, okay, I don't know where to start to apply for dental school. I don't know how to study for the DAT. I don't know what it is because I was an environmental science major. But I met someone at my graduation and they pointed me to one of the um, UNC Chapel Hill um, <clears throat> MED programs, which is like a medical enrichment program that prepares you for dental school. Um, and then after the program, they told me, you know, do a post back, you know, just to strengthen your sciences and then apply for dental school. Now, I just wanted to go Chapel Hill. I did not know nothing about Meharry. I didn't care about going to any other school but Chapel Hill. But, you know, God works in miraculous ways. Um, got an interview at, out of eight schools I applied to, I got an interview at UNC and Meharry. Um, but Meharry was the one that really felt like home. And, you know, sometimes, you know, you're, how you imagine your journey to be, it doesn't work out that way. But honestly, I am so happy that I ended up here at Meharry um, rather than any other school. I'm not, I'm not downplaying any other school, but, you know, the family that I've gotten here at Meharry, the memories that I've made, I cannot imagine it being any better if I was anywhere else. And all of your stories really are so relatable because there are people out there who have this timeline in their head, like, okay, I need to go to undergrad dental school right away. But that's, you know, God works in mysterious ways and God works on his time, not on our time. So very relatable and very inspiring. Also, every one of your stories. So us D3s, we are definitely thinking about going into specialty programs and or doing AEGD or GPR. And it's that time we need to think about personal statements and CVs. So what type of advice would you give to us starting to prepare for that feat, that task of applying? I say when you're working on your CV, make sure you write out everything you've ever done that's dentistry related. Like no matter how small you think it is, if it's dentistry related and it was kind of recent, definitely make sure you write all that stuff out and um, try to figure out how everything connects to what you're trying to do and what programs you're trying to get into. And for your personal statement, I submitted my application like two months after I originally wanted to because I thought everything was ready to go. And I had my brother look at my personal statement and he kind of just ripped it apart. <laughs> And like we spent forever editing it. He he was really busy, so we couldn't tackle it every day. But I'm glad that I took that extra time because I really do feel like my personal statement really helped me. Like my interviewers commented on it and they loved it. So take your time and just make sure you have everything that you need for your application. I was one of those um, super over-prepared, like, gung-ho. I think I started, like, doing externships my D2 year. Um, I had a personal statement by, like, December my D3 year, and I was already having it in revisions. And like Shania said, like, it got ripped apart by family members and teachers and so by the time PASS opened up, I was like ready to submit within those two weeks. Um, so I just, I kind of had everything ready really by like December to send out like who I want letter of recommendations from and stuff like that. And then I gave them deadlines. I was like a month into when the application is 
open, like I want all of these letters of recommendations in. And I think almost everybody was able to do that. Um, so I was kind of one of those people who were like, just like, nope, we have deadlines here and we're getting it in as soon as possible. And I don't really know if that even matters that much. One thing I'll also say is throughout my journey of completing my CE and my resume, one thing that was really important to me is to, was to bounce ideas off of some of my colleagues. So I was definitely fortunate enough to be able to have a lot of conversations with Corey Corinthia Wilkerson, who's also on the call today. And like Reva, I'm very thorough. And I didn't realize that sometimes in that thoroughness, it would cost me until one day Corey asked me how long was my CV and resume and it was almost 10 or 12 pages. It, it was something ridiculous like that. And she, you know, sat me down and said, hey, friend, I, I think what they're looking for is for you to have it condensed to one or two pages. This is what mine looks like. And so it's very, very important to have somebody that you can lean on um, because I know sometimes some people are more to themselves or introverted and you're trying to, you know, figure life out all on your own. But what I have found is the more ideas um, that you can bounce off of others, you will find something that either you lack or something that, you know, can be beneficial to you as well. So when you go throughout the process of kind of relating your CV or resume to somebody else, um, I think overall that can be very, very, very helpful in this process. And one thing my colleagues didn't touch on just yet, but it definitely goes hand in hand, you start to prepare your D1 year. And I don't mean like going and shadowing a specialty office that you think you may be interested in, but building yourself as a dental student, uh, making sure that you have the right character and that you're being a wonderful person so that people can actually write a true letter of recommendation for you and a favorable letter of recommendation for you, getting into leadership positions that you are actually passionate about so that it's easier for you to do the work and just learning everything there is to learn about dentistry and not focusing on I'm just doing this to specialize but do it more so because it's who you are and it'll come to you. And one thing I wanted to add about the CV um, while Ravens was uh, 10 or 12 pages long however long she said it was um you know, she probably started adding to her CD um, D1 year. So it's easier, and that was some advice that was given to us, to go ahead and start adding to your CD. So when it's time, you don't have to go back and think about, oh, what did I do this year or that year? So while hers was 10 or 12 pages, she got to delete things and keep things that were pertinent to her application instead of going back and thinking about, oh, what did I do? One thing I would say too is just like whatever field you're looking to go into, like having a mentor, someone that can guide you, um, and someone that you can, you know, send your personal statement to or so, and you know, have them tweak it as well, you know, because we're all connected to someone. Like you know, your mentor may know um, someone at a program too that may you know proofread your letter of recommendation or whatever. So you know. Just have that person that can help, that can guide you to where you want to be as well. Like, y'all, y'all actually are spitting, like, mad, mad facts right now. But the one thing I do want to ask is that majority of y'all have gotten to residencies, and we know that, like, there's two different um, 
application processes. There's the pass application and there's the match application. I just wanted to know if y'all could touch grounds on like the differences between the two or which one do you actually prefer for like actually getting into residency? Okay, I'll um, start um, with the past application. So for every residency um, or specialty program, you're gonna have to fill out um, your application through the PASS uh, website and that's through ADEA. And then from there, um, certain programs are matched. Like, hey, I wanna sign up for um, a program that's matched. Um, so then you fill out the match in addition to the past application. So you fill out that application as well, pay the fee for match. And then um, when you choose your, uh, your residencies that you want to apply to, um, some of them will be um, match and some of them will be non-match. So what it really comes down to is if you want to, um, take the chance to go through the interview process and have a program offer you a position on the spot, which the program will be non-match, and then withdraw from the match process. So essentially you're giving up on all of the other programs that you could possibly match to. So for me personally, I applied to two programs that were non-match and three programs that were match. Um, and it worked out because uh, I applied and I interviewed at those programs, but I was not offered a position in a non-match program. So I still could rely on the programs that I could possibly match to. Yeah, like Kelly was saying, um how she had her match programs and her non-match. I actually only applied to match programs and I decided to do that because my top two programs were match. So I didn't feel, I mean, it's, it's kind of risky, but I didn't want to apply to like non-match programs and then kind of not know what would happen with the match programs. Like just if I got into a non-match, wondering if I would have gotten into my top choice that were match. So I just decided to do just match programs. I only applied to three and I just left it at that. All right. And even with diving a little bit deeper into the elements of the application, I know we touched on it a little bit as far as tips for the CV um, and even like the personal statement. Uh, what other advice would you give um, to those that are in the process of writing it? Like, where did you dive deep into, uh, you know, to pull out your story um, or even recommendations for how we should go about choosing who should write our evaluation letters um, and even some of the um, organizations or extracurricular activities that you were a part of or involved in that you added to your CV. Um, what are those type, what advice would you give uh, to someone who's in the process of building their application? Um, first, I would suggest figuring out what type of application packet you want to submit as an applicant. So when I applied to my programs, I wanted them to know these specific things about me and I wanted them to know that 
um, through those things, I would be a good fit for their program and that their program would also be a good fit for me. And I tailored my entire application around that. So definitely leadership, research, education and community service and teaching. Those were my five major things. And when it came recommendation for me, I looked at each part of my CV and each part of my applicant profile, and I asked people that would be able to speak to those parts of my application in the highest way possible, and that had really good relationships with me. And I was very specific when I did request my letters of recommendations. I let them know what program I was applying to, the top five qualities of an applicant that that program is looking for. And I asked them to specifically speak on certain things. So could you speak to me being a clinical student? Could you speak to my leadership capability? Could you speak to my character? And so that way, everything on my CV, since a CV is basically a snapshot of who you are, everything on my CV matched up with all of my letters of recommendation. And so when I got to my interview, I wasn't surprised at what the interviewers were going to ask about, I knew, and we were all on the same page. And as far as the personal statement, you have to really know yourself and know your why. And it's not good enough to just say, I want to do this because one of my family members is doing it. Okay, great. Everyone has a family member or knows somebody that's doing it and they've been inspired. But what about their work has inspired you and how do you want to continue on to that and ultimately contribute to the field? Because at the end of the day, yes, we, we matched into our residency programs and it's amazing, but we're also expected to be contributors to that field of dentistry. And so how do you see yourself being a contribution? And I would like to add to that and say that in knowing yourself, really know yourself when you put together your application, like that is all of who you are, even so much as when you look at the programs you apply to. I know that for orthodontics, you have either two year or three year programs. I personally, I wanted to go to a two year program. I didn't really want to be heavy on the research side. I'm more clinical based. I got into orthodontics because I love patient management. So really looking at those discernments the selection that you choose for your programs, and even looking deeper and saying, okay, in those programs, what am I looking to get out of a program? Because these, you've made it to that point now that these are specialty programs, and this is the this is the chance that you get to learn everything you want to learn in a specialty. So what do you want to gain from it? Is it the patient management? Is it practice management? Is it um, being able to work with a team? So those are the things that you go into when you're applying to those schools. And then when it comes to knowing yourself, when you sit down with your personal statement, like, what is it that really led you to wanting to do this specialty? And so really sitting down and journaling, I mean, I sat down and really went into an introspective state in writing my personal statement because it was one of those things that even when I sit down in an interview, um, in an interview and I, I'm asked the question of why orthodontics, it's something that I've been able to sit down with myself and say, this is why I really chose orthodontics. And for me, it comes from the, the situation of me having braces when I was in middle school, but my mom not being able to afford to keep up with the payments. So I got a job working as a housekeeper because I was 14 at the time, I can't work. So I'm working as a housekeeper, house cleaner in one of the ladies' apartments that stays in our complex. And I'm using that money in order to pay for my orthodontic treatment. So I know that I was not the only kid, nor will I continue to be the only kid that had those type of struggles that can't afford to have braces. So that was one of the reasons that I got into orthodontics because of being able to change those smiles. So really sitting down and when I can express that in an interview and let you know that this is the real reason why I chose something, um, that's how you really let somebody know who you are and 
that's how you determine if a program is really fit for you. So you can go in an interview and be yourself. And it makes it much easier to navigate an interview process when you can truly go somewhere and be yourself and know that when you get accepted and you truly match to a program, you're matching something that is really yourself. So yeah, um, a lot of the information that's been given so far overlaps significantly with what I was gonna say. Um, so I was just gonna go piece by piece for the application package. And one thing that Cor uh, Corinthia said earlier is, you know, your, your package is you. you, you control what that says to the uh, admissions committees or whoever it is reading the package, whether it's program directors, department chairs, whatever. So um, for your CV, always make sure it's well organized. Use a template, always. Um, program directors, department chairs, and other faculty have hundreds of applications they're reading from. So the key is not to be overly lengthy, but make sure you have enough on there that describes in detail what you've done, what your accomplishments were up until that point in dental school. So make it concise, but also make sure it catches the reader's attention. Um, for letters of recommendation, um, my advice is to whatever specialty that you're applying for, make sure you get as many of, uh, writers in that specialty as you can, um, because they know what, what they're looking for and qualities of a person, and they know those people in that same specialty know as well. Um, so for me, I had uh, three oral and maxillofacial surgeons write a letter of recommendation for me. One oral uh, pathology professor, because that's a huge um, uh, component of oral maxillofacial surgery, as well as my team leader, because they can speak to my work ethic personally and what I do in the clinic on a day-to-day -day basis. And also that team leader specifically has taught me um, ever since D1 year. Um, but also, in addition to choosing people in that specialty, make sure that these letter writers can actually attest to your character and personality in addition to your work ethic, your skills, and your aptitude. Because although, And also, although you're, they're doing you a favor by writing these letters, it's imperative that you stay in communication with these letter of recommendation writers about the status of those letters because they have other students they're writing for, and they have lives as well. Um, as far as a personal statement, make sure you come across as genuine. I mean, don't just write what you think that these people want to read. Uh, make the story about you and how you got to be where you are at this moment, whether it's something significant, as uh, Remington said earlier, or if it's something that's just, you know, maybe something more everyday and ordinary. It doesn't matter. Make sure it's personal for you and you can talk about it. Um, so, and also make sure it's, it's interesting enough because this, it's not in person. The personal statement has got to get you in the door before the interview. And it's on paper, so there's no verbal communication. There's no expressing this. It's just words. So you got to make sure that it captures your essence and who you are. Just really quick, um, I think it's really important to know when you're preparing for your application that it really starts D1 year, like Corey was saying. And it starts with you and the reputation that you're giving off and your character and your professionalism. I know we call it professional school, and it's like, okay, yeah, everyone's professional. It's professional school, but... That goes out the window very quick, you know, when you're coming to a place day to day and you're going through life, experiencing changes, struggles, um, anything that's going on. So always be professional. Um, realize when you get to school, your D1 year, you're being judged and evaluated. Um, your professors are always watching. So the way that you may overreact if um, they say that your work isn't good and you storm off and you have an attitude and now you're upset for the rest of the day. They remember things like that. Or they remember how you were just pleasant and you always spoke and said good morning and hello to everyone. So they remember those parts about just how you are in the small instances. So just keep that in mind. So when you do have people write your letters of recommendation, they can really come from a genuine place and know that, hey, this person's character 
is this or that. So I think that's really important to keep in mind from like literally day one when you step on campus. To, to kind of add on to that, um, kind of from what Kalia said, um, beginning D1 year, just kind of make sure you establish those relationships early, start to figure out, okay, this is the kind of person that I can kind of go to for these type of situations and things. Because when you get to that time to write those letters, uh, when you have to ask people to write those letters of recommendations, it's not a, I'm just not seeing you for the first time uh, type thing. You have already established those relationships from the time from D1 year till now, um, almost. And then in regards to the personal statement, I started writing my personal statement the fall semester. Um, and then that spring semester is when I started to kind of give it out to people that I was close with, some of the people that I've that I've already asked to write my letters of recommendation um, to kind of give advice and critique it. And again, almost be careful with that because don't give it out to 10, 15 people because everybody have their own opinions and things in regards to how that, you know, that uh, personal statement should, should sound. Um, but again, like limit the amount of people that you give it to and then take those critiques into uh, consideration and then really mold it um, to what you're trying to say. Because like, you know, my colleagues have said, when you get into that interview and they're asking you about certain things on your personal statement, it is very easy to talk about because it's truly who you are and what you want to say. So it would be no problem um, kind of expressing yourself when those questions are asked. So see how y'all got your applications together, but just like um, what Remy just um, was just saying, to actually get yourself um, at that door. So how would you prepare yourself for the interview process? I know that because of the whole COVID situation, you can't actually do in-person interviews. I think majority of the interviews are online, via Zoom calls, Skype, whatever format they're using. Uh, but how would you try to show that professionalism, um, not just from your personal statement, but questions that you should ask back? Okay, so um, for OMFS, we were actually given a list of um, people who we're going to be interviewing with that day. And let me just say this. So by you getting an interview with that program, more often than not, you can just throw everything else out the window, the application to that point, because you got your foot in the door. So now at this point, you have to do what you have to do to sell yourself. That's being professional, be neat, you know, dress well, dress professionally, talk, you know, professionally. Um, so for us, we had a list of uh, interviewers. And what I did with that is I wanted to stand out. Okay. So when, you know, at this point, you have to make yourself stand out. So what I did was I researched all these interviewers on the website, see what they did, see what their interests were, what their publications were. Um, if it wasn't on there, but the title was, you know, look up, put them in Google. Their name's going to come up from somewhere. So read their research, read it in, in, in detail, come up with questions and ask them about that in an interview. Um, you don't want to have an interview where you're just talking about, you know, the basics that they do with everybody else. You want them to remember you because a lot of times your interview date may be very far off or in the beginning, you know, where they'll have multiple interview dates after that. And they're going to see have another have a lot of applicants that they've interviewed with. So you have to make yourself stand out as much as possible and however you can. In preparation for the interview, I did a mock interview with one of my mentors. And for me, it was one of the best things that I could have done, especially since the interviews were virtual. It really put me in that mindset, in that mode of being in front of my computer and presenting my best self, even though I couldn't be with anyone physically and just 
being in the mode and the mindset of being in that interview room. Also, the same exact outfit that I wore when I submitted my headshot for my application is the same exact outfit I wore for every single one of my interviews. And I really wanted them to remember my face. And I knew that if I wore the same outfit, did my makeup the same way and gave them that snapshot of me, I would have a better chance of them remembering who I was because they could easily go back to it in their memory bank as well as see my headshot on the, com on the computer or whatever device that they're using. Um, with the interviews being virtual, I would definitely suggest investing in a ring light. If your apartment or your house or wherever does not have good lighting, it helps to illuminate your face and give you a better view on camera. Some of the interviews were a little bit more relaxed than others, so some of them invited me to use a virtual background that described my personality. Some wanted me to have a prop in the background that I could speak about, and others suggested that I had a white background. And so you'll get to, um, you'll know which programs want and expect certain things from you because they'll just tell you. And also, don't be afraid to reach out to the program directors and the residents and even the administrative support person that's going to send you all of the emails. And after the interview, instead of sending um, just a standard email, I actually made e-cards to email to everyone. And I felt like that added a different touch to it because I knew that other applicants would be sending, you know, a standard email. And so I really wanted to stand out a little bit more. And as far as questions go, um, I made sure I asked them what the work-life balance was because that was something definitely important for me in a program. And I asked the program directors what their ideal candidate was because that also let me know what the program director was looking for. And like we always say, you're on an interview and you want them to get to know you, but you're also interviewing the program because you're going to spend two to three years at this place with these people all day long learning from them and you want to make sure that you're comfortable in an environment that you're going to enjoy. Everything had pretty much been said, but one of the things that I feel like people didn't mention was, and I, I mean, they kind of did mention this, you need to sit in front of your computer because it is so different. Like having a one-on-one -on -one with someone in school mm -hmm. or like talking to someone, like going over questions over the phone or in person is totally different. You need to schedule a Zoom meeting and have a one-on-one -on -one interview in front of the computer in the outfit you're wearing in the location you'll be sitting and actually see, okay, well, my chair should be this high or my chair should be this high. My lighting is off here. Like do it around the exact same time you plan to do your actual interview. So you know how the lighting looks. So you know the positioning of your laptop or iPad, you know, I fidget too much with my hair. I'm mm -hmm. twiddling with my necklace. Things that you don't really realize or, like I said, with the lighting things that you wouldn't have even thought about. And when you sit down for the interview, it's too late to adjust. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the things I would recommend as well. Like with this interview on the, the virtual thing, just try to see what you're doing. Like record yourself on Zoom or something and actually be able to see, okay, I did this way too many times or I'm being too active with my hands or I'm like too stiff. Like, you know what I mean? Like you being able to see yourself because when you're in person, I mean, you can kind of feed off the cues of one another. It's a more natural experience, but when all they have their image of you is like this two by two box or, like, you know, whatever the size of their screen is, it's really different. So yeah. you need to 
after you practice, 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 and kind of actually get a real live view of what you'll be like within the confines of the screen, because that's all they have to go by. It's a really big deal. With the interviews, I say practice, but not practice in a sense of where you are sounding rehearsed. Um, for me personally, I kind of struggle with my words. Um, so I would uh, get in the mirror, kind of ask myself a question and kind of go over the, I want to say big picture things without saying my full answer because I didn't want to get on the on the, on the the um, call and sound as if I practiced this entire speech. And then that's where you don't sound genuine, you don't sound passionate or personal about your response. Um, and then as far as like, questions that you wanted to ask the program. I would look into the program before, um, kind of what um, uh, Zach said earlier, and kind of just figure out what that program had. And then I would um, ask questions based off the program. And then even during the, like when you have your interview, they usually have like a general session in the beginning with the residents. I will have a notepad with me. And as they're talking, I would write down certain things. Um, in particular, for example, I had an interview and they kept mentioning the word family. And that was one of the things that I was looking for. So when I got into the interview um, with the program directors, I mentioned that, hey, during the beginning of the session, these residents said family at least 10, 12 times. And then I kind of transferred that over into my answer. So just have a you know notepad ready um, to go during those, those things. And um, yeah. Um, practice but again don't practice where you sound rehearsed i would add on top of that is knowing yourself once again and then in knowing yourself you have to be real with yourself um use ourselves enough you can look in the mirror and get on your Issa Rae and really interview yourself like ask yourself these questions like why do you want to do orthodontics or why do you want to do pediatrics um what are three strengths what are three of your weaknesses like you can really literally have a conversation with yourself and being real with yourself and I think that helps because when you then take that to your application process and you research programs and look into the programs and really see what it is you like about these programs, questions will arise on their own. So you don't get on the interview and you ask, well, what classes are you taking in your first year? If the, and then you look and see that the curriculum is online. So it's, you know, those aren't genuine questions because if you were really interested in the program, you could look online and see that we have the whole curriculum for your program here ask genuine questions. That's how um, you're, by being personable with them and knowing yourself and looking to see what you really like, the questions will come about and they'll be genuine and it'll be natural. Yeah, um, so for pediatrics, what we did was we met with our faculty and we did like a panel style interview and it was really quick, 15 minutes and they kept us on our toes and they kind of told us y'all did this wrong and y'all did this right. And this is what you need to do before you interview. And if you need to practice again, we're here for you. Um, I also went around and asked faculty and like people I was close to like, Hey, what do you think things I can touch on are, which are my weaknesses? Um, and which are my strengths and stuff just from like someone else's perspective, because we can all iterate what our strengths and weaknesses are, but to get it from another professional and someone who is your other faculty or who is a faculty member, um, it just gives it a different perspective. Um, also, everyone who applied to PETA, we shared all the questions we had um, and we would just go in our text message group and we would 
be like, oh, I got asked this question and this is what I said and this is what I've heard about this place. So just really leaning on your classmates and people you know for stuff like that. Another thing uh, that I'd like to add to that, I don't know this upcoming uh, cycle, how if it will be like virtual or not. But um, one thing that uh, stood out in my interviews was whenever you're like in the waiting room, from the time the they answer your Zoom call, you're being interviewed. So, you know, I'll be on there and it'll be just quiet. So I just went ahead and I introduced myself and then everyone introduced themselves. And then, you know, everyone just started talking like, oh, you in Nashville? Oh, that's so cool, you know? And um, in one of my interviews, they thanked me for that. Cause they were like, it's kind of um, a bit like of an awkward phase in the beginning because, you know, there's everyone is kind of scared. Everyone's nervous, but that kind of helps, you know, just alleviate the nervousness. And, you know, as an interviewer, you don't want to try to, you know, talk to the students because, you know, you may not help them because they may still be nervous when you're talking to them as um, the interviewer. And I think um, talking to Taylor and Reva when they interviewed at one of their, um, when they had one of their interviews, they said the same thing. Like it was just like a standing in the elevator. Like everyone was just so quiet. You know, so, you know, just be yourself, but also, you know, show them who you really are, even when you're waiting to be interviewed. And it's okay, like, to be friendly with the other people who are interviewing in the little, the rooms they put you in between interviews, because in one of the Perio interviews I was in, the program director actually, he asked each person to pick one person they like most and one person they didn't like at all out of the applicants and we were all taken aback so be nice be friendly because somebody might not like you and say that in the interview i'm gonna add another thing real quick um kind of what reva was going on don't be kind of you know scared to reach out to your classmates um i know i've reached out to reva personally and we met up at a coffee shop and we talked about certain things about, you know, interview questions. And I, you know, I would ask her like, Hey, this is a question that I'm really struggling with. Um, how would you answer this question in a sense? So when we go off, you know, interview with, you know, separate schools, um, we, I kind of had it together in that sense. And because of me reaching out to Reva and Chad or whoever else to kind of really, uh, navigate and maneuver through certain questions that really can help, um, expand on what you was going to say before you even met with them. So, don't be afraid to reach out. And I would like to add as well, um, interviewing is not my, personally for me, not my strongest suit. So really practicing, I actually practiced with Corinthia and it was very helpful because during the Zoom interview, like the awkward silence is even more awkward because it's like they're staring at you on the other side of the computer. And so, like for me, when I finish what I'm saying, I get like quiet and I'm just like, yeah, that's, 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 I'm done. But you know, the awkward silence is even more awkward and you know, it can still make you really nervous because it looks like they're staring in your, into your soul from the other side of the computer. So preparing, um, even if it's with classmates, faculty, whomever, and, um, just like, and even when we were practicing, um, the first question that they would ask would be one that we practiced. And for me, that was very helpful because I knew where to go and where I wanted to go and um, not make the question so awkward. I would love to just add one last thing that no one really spoke on. 
So it's this idea that I think the vast majority of us, no one has the perfect application, right? So at some point of your application, it may be something that's nitpicky that um, is deemed a little negative. For me personally, I think on my application, that one thing was GRE, and it was very important for me if and when I was asked about that one little thing that was kind of a blemish on my application that I definitely had an answer. And like Corey, I did go through a mock interview, and that was a question that came up. So I see overall you're a great applicant, but one thing kind of sticks out. And what is that one thing that you think that is? And of course, it was GRE. And so by knowing whether it's your GPA or maybe it's community service, just something that you feel like you could have done better on your application, if you personally know that, definitely already have some type of answer to combat it. And what I found was throughout my interview process, for the vast majority of them, I was always asked about my GRE and I already had that answer, you know, kind of made up in my head and I took accountability. That's one thing that they love to see. And so I was very honest and I talked about applying myself and how I just didn't when it came to that standardized test. And from there, I kind of highlighted some of my other accomplishments. And by me just being frank and honest, a lot of programs really like that to see that humanistic side of people. So that's one thing that I'll also say. Um, if you feel like you deem anything on your application as negative, hone into that and, and already kind of have a pre-recorded answer or something that you can, you know, extend and expound upon during the interview process if and when it's brought up. This was all truly wonderful advice because we're on the track to start applying now. So we do appreciate all of your tips, you all. We really do. Um, so I talk to my classmates sometimes and we talk about how as G1s, you could never picture yourself treating patients. It's just the time goes by so darn fast. It's hindsight, they say it's 2020, right? So when I do talk to them, it's like, yeah, you know, we were just doing these wax ups. I never thought I'd be doing a wax up for a patient. <laughs> it's so crazy. So what, if you could go back to first year, is there any advice you would give to yourself or would you have done anything differently to get to this point now? So I asked this, actually asked this question to somebody that was on the interviewing board with the school that I, um, that I interviewed with. And their response was, if I could go back, I would treat as if I was specializing in, as if I was specializing in every subject. And after he said that, I was like, I definitely should have done that because going through our dental school at first, I wanted to do ortho. So I'm like, I'm not going to have to look into all these dentures and things. I don't care about dentures. I just got to get through with it. So I wasn't trying to truly learn how to do a denture or truly learn how to do a root canal. Then my, um, then I switched to pediatrics. Um, and even though I switched to pediatrics, I was still in that mindset as if like, I don't have to do certain things. But if I approach dental school in a sense that I was specializing in literally every, in literally every, uh, every field, I feel like I would have gotten a full grasp of things. So when I got into the clinic, um, even though it would be a challenge because it'd be the first time of you actually doing it on a patient and whatnot, um, it wouldn't have been as difficult because I, again, was going through our dental school thinking I'm not going to have, have to do a denture ever again once I leave this place. But if I would have actually learned it how I was supposed to and actually tried to figure certain things out in the beginning, it would have been, a, I think, a better transition into the clinic. 
Um, I would say when you start out, get to know faculty in every department, including if you have a GPR, an AGD, or any residencies at your school, because you may not match into what you want to. Like in my case, I tried for perio in phase one, I did not match. So I jumped into phase two for GPRs. And fortunately, I had already established very good relationships with um, the faculty and the residencies here at my school. And it worked out for me. So I was able to secure a GPR. So just make good relationships early on and it'll pay off for you. Something um, I think was important. It was not really something I do differently, but I would encourage um, like D1 and D2 students to do is get involved with the um, like clinical organizations on your campus. Um, I'm a member, uh, the executive director of what's called our salt wagon clinic. And we do free extractions once a month for um, patients in the community. Um, so I volunteered with that group like my D1 year a couple of times in D2. And I think it's really important um, for our school, especially and if whoever else is listening, if your school has an organization like that, um, because it teaches you how clinic works before you even get there. It teaches you the steps you have to take for an extraction before you even take that class. So by the time you take it, you have like real world questions and like real world examples of what it's like. And I think one of the biggest things, it, it just teaches you how to move around in the clinic, like how to put barrier tape on which lights and how to set up your chair and how to clean it up and um, where to go for sterilization. Like just knowing those little things um, ahead of time. I think when you get in the clinic, you're already comfortable. Like you've done it a couple of times. Um, you were maybe able to assist with an extraction. Maybe you did an extraction or a procedure. So by the time you're in the clinic, you're like, okay, I know this. I remembered that. This person taught me that. So always expose yourselves to opportunities to learn information if you can like get it ahead of time before you take that class. I think that's one of the biggest things that helped me um, pretty much like be comfortable in the clinic starting out. So I recommend that. Um, I'm going to piggyback a little bit off of what Benita said. Um, it is very important to make sure that you make good relationships with faculty. One thing I wish I kind of did a little different was um, just build my relationships with people a little bit more. Um, I know we work on a team model, but I do wish that, you know, other than the two faculty that I'm on their team, I wish that I would have gotten closer, a lot closer with some other ones. So it was a little hard to figure out who I wanted to ask for my letters. For a few people, I knew exactly who I wanted to ask, but when I needed more letters, I was kind of unsure. So it is good to just make sure that you always say hello to people, which I did, but just building more of a relationship with other faculty members that you don't work with as much. And I definitely um, appreciate everybody's advice that you gave. Like we can definitely move forward with this advice and apply it, especially since we're about to enter into this process now. Um, but given that you guys are all seniors, like you're literally inches away from the finish line. Like, I just want to know, what do you think is the biggest challenge that you guys actually overcame, like while in dental school, you know, and just how you persevered um, through those challenges? Uh, I know I'm kind of springing this question on you guys, but <laughs> but just, you know, taking the time just to be just a little bit transparent, you know, um, just to show how strong you guys really are. 
Well, I'll oh, go ahead, Chad. Go. There we go. Easy. Oh, I'll um, start by saying like I did not match into a pediatric program, and that was not something I expected. All of my classmates know, like pretty much since D one year, I was like, I'm going to pedo. This is what I'm doing, and I did everything I could to like go there, and then just not having that and having not I it was it was such a shock to me that I just went into like fight or flight mode and so kind of just don't ever take anything for granted and I didn't take it for granted but just have a backup plan always like know you're going to fail like you're not always going to be on your a game every single time like you are going to fail and you're going to do something wrong and you're going to have to pick yourself up and continue living and learning from that experience. Wow, Reva, we're right here. We're right here. But I was about to say the same thing. It's just like, you know, sometimes at dental students, we imagine a journey and it has to go perfect, but it doesn't always go perfect. Like, you know, just learning how to deal with disappointment. Um, for me, I didn't pass boards, um, my part two boards the first uh, the first time. And, you know, I studied hard for it, but it just didn't happen. And one thing that I was really grateful for was my classmates did not allow me to, you know, go into that dark place where, you know, you, you're just down because you failed. Like, you just feel like, you know, you're just a failure. You know, you, you worked so hard and you just didn't get over that hump. And, you know, they were there to, you know, provide questions, to um, provide support, to, you know, ask me questions as I prepare for exams. So as Reva was saying, you know, just sometimes disappointment may come and that doesn't mean that you're not going to achieve your goal. It's just a hurdle for you to get over. And that really, it, it develops you into a different person because, you know, someday you're going to be a mentor to another kid who wants to achieve the same thing that you want to, um, that you're on your journey to achieve right now. So it's just, you know, learning that and just keep pushing no matter what happens. Just to kind of piggyback off of what Riva and Chad both just said, I think that this journey that we are all on is something that you have to wake up prepared for. You just have to put yourself in the mindset that you're going to go to school and you're going to go to clinic each and every day and you're going to get the most out of it you can. Like Reva said, you may not be on your A game each and every single day, but if you go into those into that school with the mindset that you're going to learn something, you're going to better yourself, you're going to have a, an outcome that you can be proud of if you can say that you went in and you tried your best and you got the most that you could out of that day each and every day. Um, a lot of what we do is just a mindset, deciding that we're here and we're going to do the best that we can do and that we are going to come out on top no matter how we have to get there <laughs> you just have to keep pushing you have to keep trying you can't let yourself go into a dark place like chad talked about you have to surround yourself with people that are going to support you and so i think that another thing is really important is finding your group of people that are going to be there for you through those ups and downs and that are going to push you and support you on your good days and your bad days it's like uh, dental school really teaches you about sacrifice um, and really dealing with setbacks. But along my journey, um, I could talk about this topic until till tomorrow. Um, but setbacks really amount to a bigger comeback. And 
when you're going through dental school because it's such a rigorous process. You develop friends more and so family that will hold you up throughout the journey that will make those setbacks. And well, after you get over those setbacks, um, mean so much more. Um, you know, a lot of times you would think as a setback as it being a stone, as in like it's, you know, set in stone, it's permanent. Um, but as you go through this process, you really learn that those, those, those setbacks are really teaching you lessons that you would not have learned anywhere else. And that even during those setbacks, it's hard, but to be thankful for them. Um, because I can't say when I got into dental school versus now, I am a completely different person in the sense of, of being resilient, being strong. And dental school taught me that. And I say it's came with sacrifices. It came with tears. It came with staying up all night studying um, when you're questioning is if, you know, if this is really for you. But again, having that support system around you um, throughout this journey, um, I think has made not only me, but a lot of my classmates into their, into their best versions. Um, what I learned is always have a plan B say you fail your first practical. What's plan B? Well, let's get some teeth and go practice. Um, say that's, you didn't pass part of your boards. Okay, let's get some uh, friends together, get some tutoring, and let's go work on this. Um, say you didn't match. Okay, what went wrong? Go talk to some mentors or advisors about what happened. Try to post-match. If you can't post-match, try to find a general practice. And at least what I would do differently was if you're in phase one, apply to GPRs too and AGDs at the same time. So that's a way that you can have a plan B as well. But don't put all your eggs in one basket and just always think about what could go wrong. Like not negatively, but just think, how am I going to pivot from here if something does go wrong? And you should more or less always be okay. Something I want to add is um, I think it's important to monitor your mental health like you monitor the gas in your car. Dental school is so tough. It's rigorous, it's stressful, it's exhausting. And I think if you let it run it, run you into the ground, it absolutely will. So some days I don't encourage skipping school, but if I have a day where I'm just stressed and I haven't slept and there's no food in my house and I'm just like running on E, like I will take a day off, like take those personal days. Don't just like, I don't, I know we used to have be a proponent of like, um, like no sleep, team, no sleep, grinding, whatever. I don't subscribe to that. <laughs> like I need to make sure I take care of myself first, that I'm well first, that you're eating right. Um, because I've had like roommates in the past, they were graduating and um, they had friends or in their circle who they're studying for boards and you're getting so stressed. And some of them wound up in the hospital just from, stress or just um, things that will manifest in the body in different ways. So just monitor yourself. Don't let school and stress run you into the ground because you won't be good to yourself and you definitely won't be worth anything when you go to school and in the clinic and especially for your patients. Like, so present your best self um, first, but in order to do that, you need to be your best self. 
I absolutely love that. Monitor your mental health like the gas in your car. And I know that we monitor that like, (laughs) you know, frequently. Um, And if anything, like this past quarantine and everything has taught me, um, definitely we need to put more of an emphasis on uh, our mental health. Um, Something that we always say we cannot pour out of an empty vessel, right? So, um, you know, we can't perform the way that we need to um, if we don't have the necessary uh, ingredients um, in the first place. Um, But again, thank you guys for being so transparent. Um, Thank you guys for being on the show. Uh, Just for a tiny peek into next season, um, it just shows how dentistry is a multi-layer profession with unlimited avenues. Um, Just saying that the career doesn't just stop at teeth. Right, but it can expand towards areas such as education, administration, advocacy, and so much more. So I can't wait for season four. Um, that we have a lot in store. We have a lot of special guests uh, that's coming up, um, and that's what we have. So now we're gonna move into closing remarks from our guests. So uh, let's go ahead and go into some reflections from over this past year. And uh, let's go ahead and close this on out. The closeout statement I have is it all encompasses enjoy the process of being a student. Like these are times that you prayed on being here, like be present moment. You prayed to be here. You wanted to be here. You work hard to be here. It's not going to be easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Like these cliches exist for a reason. And so you really have to enjoy the process of being a student and enjoy those failures because when you fail in those moments, that's the moment that you decide like how bad it is that you want it. Like is the persistence, is it really worth it in that moment? So those are the moments you have to determine and enjoy being a student, enjoy the process because in the process, that's what allows you to have true growth and mature. That's what for the maturation of your graduation. So just enjoy being a student, enjoy the process and stay persistent. I'm going to add that um, if you made it this far, you can make it anywhere. Um, This whole process can be scary sometimes, but you've made it this far, so you can do it. Um, Just keep good people around you. Like everyone else said, monitor your mental health and take care of yourself and work hard and you'll get to where you're trying to go. Yeah. And, um, you know, every day is an accomplishment. You know, there's so many people that apply to dental school every day, but you have the opportunity to be at dental school doing, you know, following your dream. And also, um, you know, if you have hobbies and, and those stuff, like don't let dental, like dental school define you, you know, find other things that, you know, you find fun, like maybe running, maybe uh, collecting plants. I mean, I love photography, maybe photography, you know, just do things that you love and don't let dentistry define you. And I would add to continue to foster relationships around you, whether it's people you meet in dental school, the friends you had before dental school and your family members. Dental school is four years. It is transitional. You will never get this time back. And so 
in knowing that you have to remember that the people that you're on this journey with, they're there for a reason. And to really get to know them and build lasting relationships. And even though it's difficult sometimes, make it a point to still reach out to your family members, whether it's calling them in the morning on your drive to school or when you're on a study break, because life does not stop while you're in dental school. And you don't want to look up four years from now and realize that you've lost touch with one of your loved ones, or even worse, one of your loved ones passes away. And the only thing you can think is, man, I didn't take the time out to reach out to them or call them or anything. So just keep in touch with that part of yourself and keep building relationships. Um, Remember that everything that you're going through, there's someone who's, who's been through it before. And a lot of people are here for you, your classmates, your mentors. There's so many people who care about you and always pray on it and know that it's going to be okay. You know, we hear the a phrase, um, you learn something new every day. So take that and actually do it. Learn something new every day. When you're at school, your professors have a wealth of knowledge while you're in the clinic. Um, make the most of every patient encounter, every experience. You want to take away as much as you can from your dental school experience because you're paying for it, like literally. So, you know, you want to get as much as you can from the education. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for being on the show. Uh, and um, again, congratulations on your last semester of dental school. Congratulations on matching um, into the, you know, your dream residency. Um, and we definitely, uh, you know, will continue to put uh, positive energy and blessings into the world for you guys. All right. And now let's wrap things up and transition into Taylor's takeaways. And we actually kind of already hinted on the topic Um with that last question there. And uh, today I actually want to talk about handling academic rejection. Um, I know I can definitely empathize with those experiencing this now because when it came time for me to apply to dental school, I entered into three different cycles. Um, And I know no one wants to see those words. We regret to inform you. And the field of dentistry attracts people that are overachievers, perfectionists, and have competitive personalities. So with that, it's kind of like a double-edged sword because we're way harder on ourselves than we should be. Um, So with that being said, even if we experience a rejection or we're turned down from an opportunity, know that that does not reflect our value as a person. And we need to separate our rejections from our self-worth. Internalize that. (laughs) We need to separate our rejections from our self-worth. And the moment that we acknowledge that, that's actually the first step towards moving forward in the right direction. So um, some tips on moving forward uh, is knowing that it's okay to grieve Um, But just like what Chad mentioned, uh, we can't stay in that dark space. We can't sulk for too long. Um, We have to accept that it did hurt and we need to make the decision to turn our mood around. Um, The next thing uh, that was already mentioned as well, we need to reevaluate our application. Let's ask mentors and faculty in academia for help on how to be a better candidate for the next cycle. And lastly, I know this 
might sound sound cliche, but never give up. If you truly believe what you typed in your personal statement and why you want to achieve what you want to achieve, then do not give up. Um, no one knows why we have to endure rejection, but stamina and strength is built under trials and resistance. And when, that's right, when, not if, you are accepted, you will have such a greater appreciation for that position. Who Taylor, that sounds like a sermon. That was great. <laughs> amen, amen. We love Taylor's takeaways. That was awesome. And I know a lot of people um, have gone through that rejection at some point in their life, even if it's not in relation to dental school. So that's definitely um, keys. This is keys to remember. Um, so I just wanted to end with a little motivational quote. And it starts with, in many ways, this moment embodies our character as a nation. It demonstrates who we are, even in dark times. We not only dream, we do. We not only see what has been, we see what can be. We shoot for the moon and then we plant our flag on it. We are bold, fearless, and ambitious. We are undaunted in our belief that we shall overcome, that we will rise up. And that is from our Vice President Kamala Harris. That was from her Inauguration Day speech. Shout out to our Vice President. <laughs> Life's tough, but you were made tougher. You already heard it from our live role models. Right? This is our upperclassmen. This is the people that we have saw during our D1 year. They have been through the struggles. They have helped us throughout many escapades. But from all, from whatever they've been doing, they've always been themselves, staying clean and always staying floss. You already know the word of the game. Stay flossing and keep flossing. If you like what you hear, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Pod for more updates on the show. And be sure to give us a shout out. Want to ask us questions or give suggestions on topics that you'd like to hear? Then email us at theocclusaltablepodcast at gmail.com. We love to hear feedback from our listeners, so don't forget to leave a thumbs up, five stars, and a review on whichever platform you're listening on. Well, that's all we have for today. So until next time, this is The The Occlusal Table. Table!